Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. At the Smithsonian, I, I would always love this because you would start, bo- you wouldn't be interested, then you'd slowly start boxing out the view for the kids behind you. So it'd always be behind you watching. And you would be mesmerized and you'd start to mimic the teardrops with your hands. I just think they're really beautiful. No, they now you can have too much fireworks. I was mentioning this at dinner Ocean last City. night. Ocean City, but they went sideways. Yeah, they blew up. Fireworks have been canceled. Yeah, blew up in the middle of the day. Somebody lit cigarette. I don't know I mean, what who happened. Who did that? I mean, that's that. That's such an Ocean City hun sort of thing, isn't it? This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So let's start with the golf. A couple of things in golf, because we're going to get to the basketball game with Tim Legler later, and we're going to get to the All-Star game and the circumstance surrounding Shohei Otani with Tim Kirkchin later. So I wanted to start with the golf, not with the Phil Mickelson golf yet. That'll be the majority of this, but not with that yet. I want to start uh, by inviting people, anybody who's listening, and anybody who's going to be in Washington next week. In fact, I think it's starting this weekend. The, the 12th. Right. Uh, 12th is Monday. I yes. thought it maybe started Sunday. I think, it's the, I think it starts okay. Monday. So uh, Columbia Country Club is going to host a major USGA event. It is the National Girls Championship. It's the Girls Am, uh, 17 and under, I believe. 17 and under. Uh, 18 years ago, uh, they hosted the boys, 17 and under, that Michael uh, tried to qualify for and played in it in an early round. And this will continue... Done in by number four, I believe, double bogey in the first round. Mm, you remember that, do you? Yeah. yeah. So uh, this will... Went long. Never go long on four. Yeah. This will continue for a week. It will be on television, the semifinals on Friday, and the finals on Saturday. They'll be on the Golf Channel. I wondered if Sands was going to be involved, but Sands will be at the British Open, so he will not be involved. Uh, I don't know who's doing the telecast, who specifically is doing it. Cheyenne Woods is one of the people doing it. Yeah, we saw she her was, last night. She was at the match last night. Uh, she's one. She's Tiger's cousin, I believe, Cheyenne Woods, and a professional golfer herself, if I have this correct. Um, so it's the junior girls. It starts out where everybody plays 18 holes, and then they cut to 64. Is that how that works? And then the match play begins. It's free. You can come out to Columbia. If you don't know where Columbia is, it is at the intersection of Connecticut Avenue and East West Highway in Chevy Chase, Maryland. You can walk our beautiful course. You can look with revulsion at the purple line as it gouges through our beautiful course. Uh, And you can watch these girls play. They're going to play. I believe they're going to play from the white tees, mostly from the white tees. The other day in a qualifying round, the best three scores, I was told, was 72, 73, 74 from the whites. I never approached that. And I said, oh, uh, I guess my son can still beat them, but it would be a match. Would it be a match? It'd be a good match. I'd be asking for shots. Yeah. But, you know, I'd try and take advantage of the length that I still have. Yeah. But what's so great is your first question is, hey, you think you could beat these 14-year-old girls? (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember when you were a 15- or 16-year-old boy? Yeah. And you played against, or you were going to play against Jessica Lewis, who was a little bit older and ended up, you know, as a professional golfer. She was a great golfer. I think at one point, she won the Maryland Open. Jessica Lewis and Mallory Crossland are the ones who come to mind right away. And you were, tell me you were not nervous about playing with somebody who was that good. 
nervous more more about her being that good and and yeah. she, hit, she hit the ball hard but what's so great is when you're competing like that it doesn't matter what tees you're playing from right. as long as it's the appropriate set and that's what's so great about golf and what you saw you know Immelman and Charles talking about last night is you can get into golf and play from the appropriate tees I do play with a female collegiate golfer as you're a high school boy looking up trying to get to that level yourself yeah and so so that's that will be out there the young lady who led the U.S. Open for two rounds is going to play in this. I've, I'm blanking on her name, but she's about to become a freshman at Stanford, and she had all those wonderful interviews after the first two rounds and seemed so tremendously composed. So that's going to be out there. I'm told that, I don't know if this is true, maybe you would know, Michael, family is not allowed to caddy. Like, In- interesting. Yeah, I was told that, but I'm not certain about yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't be sure about that. That's Pete sort of- Creedon's going to caddy. Of course he is. Creedon is going to go out and caddy for this thing. Oh, he, yeah. he, he definitely has the, the psychological advantage when, he, when he's given the, uh, the young competitors lines on the green because yeah, I mean, he's, he's seen it all. He's played it 10,000 times. We, we, now, I believe Snack we Bar... We finished out of the money, I by believe the way. Snack Bar 8 is going to be open for the tournament. Oh, so, so the George and Z. George and Z. George and Z will be out there, and you should say hello to them, and you should say Maybe that we Maybe get a tour of the uh, undisclosed location. Yeah, that's right. You could do that. <laughs> we know where that is. Um, so we, we were... The other day, Arch and Courtney and Pete and I, we were 61, we were nine under, and we didn't even get shop credit. We didn't get shop credit on nine under. We missed Michael. Because when Michael was there, we came in second and won $125 in shop Difference credit. Difference maker. So it's at Columbia Country Club. It be, it's all next week. Uh, the admission is free. I don't know about the parking. I mean, I don't know <clears> if there's staged parking in satellite areas. I don't know that. But by all means, come out and watch these girls play because they're going to be playing in college, and some of them are going to be pros after that because they're going. This is the national junior girls championships. It's a big deal, right, Michael? All, a- all USJ events are, and you have the chance to watch history in the making. Yeah, this is a big deal. Now let us get to the match last night. Phil Mickelson now, and I, I'm, I, I'm advised that he won the PGA, and I'm so happy he won the PGA. But Phil Mickelson basically for the last three or four years is in the Phil Mickelson business. And much of the Phil Mickelson business is to play in these trumped-up, entertaining matches that he sells to television. And he says, I'm going to get three people to play with me. Once it was Tiger. Once it was Peyton Manning. A couple of times now Tom Brady. Last night Aaron Rodgers. You know, they sold it to Turner. And they put Charles Barkley and Larry Fitzgerald out there. Now, Larry should play. Larry's a good player. Yeah, he is, isn't he? He should play. And, they, and Phil Mickelson is in this business as he gets ready for his next business, which is to be the sole and only golf commentator on television. Phil walks around. I mean, an independent contractor, just float in yeah. for anyone. You want me on a Sunday? Here's the <laughs> here, here's here your time slot. I'll do three to five. If you want me for the last nine, that's a higher price point, but we can make it work. Yeah. Talk to Jared. Yeah, and plus, and uh, talk to Jared, and everybody needs to wear my long sleeve shirts and yeah. my sunglasses and everything and that I endorse. And we'll only be drinking coffee. Phil's right. coffee. Yeah, Phil's well, coffee. So, Phil's it's, it's remarkable. If you watch it, and he says things like, so I'm, I, I need about a 57-yard shot. I want to put a little bit past the pin. I want to suck it back a little bit so that I have the uphill putt. I practice this about 40,000 times a day. And he goes back and forth with DeChambeau, who is the only person on the tour who understands him. DeChambeau does the same sort of thing. It's all mathematical to DeChambeau, physics and mathematics. And it's fascinating. And then Barkley, I think, spoke for all of us when he said, do you really want to go out, you know, to dinner with these guys? Yeah, that'd be a tough, that'd be a tough, uh, I want to go on a ride with these guys. Really? Really? With these guys? (laughs) Barkley had the best line of the entire night when he said of Tom Brady, 
Tom Brady is a pretty man. <laughs> it was just that was a good. Barclay. And he said it to him. He said, "Tom, you're a pretty man." And then and then Brady, who loves Barkley because everybody loves Barkley, yes. Brady then talked about his competitiveness and how he felt, you know, that that he. He got to everything sort of late and wanted to outwork everyone. You were impressed. I, I loved that. In terms of the first half of the round, which was the only watchable half, because at a certain point, even I turned it off. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. They're you doing an alternate stop. shot, trying to putt with a three. And I go, I, I can't do this anymore. No, it's too much. Uh, they figured out the camera angles, and it felt like this. Uh, I'm sure Well, it felt like, a, like a, a confessional almost with Brady. And for somebody who is so calculated in terms of what he messages in a post-game presser, it was just really rewarding. If I imagine if I was a kid seeing Tom Brady with the amount of success he's had, talking about having to outwork everyone. You've heard that message a thousand times, but you have not seen it done in such an intimate setting. And part of that is the pads are off, the helmet's off. Uh, but you come back to you come back to Phil, and there's been so much talk over the last couple of years about these super leagues, and many players have come out against it. Rory, Phil's, Rory, yeah, most yeah. and you look at you know you look at what sort of business enterprise off the course Rory himself has gone into, and you look at Phil, and he's like he has found this perfect path to try and get some of that money, to try and get some of that outside of the tour interest and revenue. This is something that's including you, you realize quarterbacks are the are the people who can draw and you look at this thing when he's created this little these match scenarios he can do this it's going to be the shells wonderful World of golf part two he's going to be going to different countries finding the sweet spots you you would have thought tuesday before the british opens is the perfect time slot until the italy spain game goes into penalty see what i did there with the italy very spain. nice yeah. very nice they bumped us we we were on espn2 which we'll be on again today because denmark and england is that's gonna, right now i also loved i also well. loved watching the the floating camera guys and the the people that go into the match into any event that's live tv that you're fixing the earpieces they're driving off the cart pass the the golf course which i had never heard of till this thing was announced is somewhere in montana or idaho montana Some, montana it is it's astonishing. Michael, I texted Michael. I said, this place is so majestic. And he said, and correctly so, that it reminded him of the sound of music. It's like the Von Trapp family is singing in the woods. Rolling hills. It's so like beautiful. The hills were alive with the sounds of Phil Mickelson. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the other thing that was great, at one point, Brady and Rodgers are throwing the football back and forth. And you, you can see how it's being zipped. They're not even trying. It's being zipped. It looks like it's going 80 miles an hour, and they're catching it easily because that's what they do for a living. Mm -hmm. They play football. Rodgers is a better golfer than Brady. Ro I've played with Rodgers. Rodgers is really good. And, and it just, like Michael, I stopped watching after a while. Kissing, you know, enough. The hardest enough. thing about but this it was is, lovely. Yeah, the hardest thing about this is you can't watch you can't watch a four ball play a four and a half hour route. It's even if they're in fast carts. Uh, everyone was ribbing on Deshambo for slow play and all this, but it's just it's hard to to watch that when there's nothing really at stake. And I'll explain this to you because I thought about this and talked with a friend of mine last night about this very thing. The invention of golf on television is wholly attributable to a man named Frank Cherkinian. Frank Cherkinian looked at a golf tournament and said, more shots, we got to do more shots. We got to make sure every single time our cameras are on somebody hitting the ball. Ball goes up in the air, ball lands. Ball is putted, ball stops in the hole, or ball goes by. But we can't concentrate just on one person. We have to give you a lot of shots. And the problem with putting a golf match on television, even with four people, is there aren't that many shots. And they're babbling and they're driving to the shots. And so you've got to make this work with personality. This is why Phil is dominant. 
Brady, left to himself, wouldn't talk. (laughs) Rodgers might talk, but with all that's going on with Rodgers now, Rodgers is probably reluctant to talk. He got a little more open once they they established the lead. And he he knows quarterbacks running off the field know how to work with the one camera that's in front of them. He was even coaching DeChambeau at one point and be like, no, no, look here. Yeah, DeChambeau um, is a weird guy. You know, he's just a weird guy. That's not the ideal pairing. You would say Tiger is the ideal, not anymore, obviously, but you would say Tiger was the ideal pairing, except the Tiger's not yakky. You know, you, you've got to be talkative, and Phil is incredibly talkative. That's why Peyton Manning works in something like this. Yes. Because Peyton Manning is very talkative as well and understands is, the relationship with the There is a tweet recommending Spieth and Romo, which would be a very good pairing in terms of very what, good. what the successful iterations And they been. know each other very yeah. well, and they play together at the same place in Dallas. So that actually would be very good. But then are you... If Romo's in it and he's CBS, do you have to be on CBS? The CBS say, and I'm this not is where you're watching out. an event where you go, is it a sporting event or is it just some sort of sponsored branding event? You don't know where the commercial well, the, ends the announcing or the, the the people doing the actual announcing couldn't talk about charity and match more, and they were. They were not really involved in the golf. They were even, involved in the hoopla. Yeah, and you even look right. at how Callaway came in to do some of the outs as they're going to commercial. Because well, Phil's Callaway. Yeah, but then you have uh, Rogers who was decked out in some uh, in some Taylor Taylor gear. Taylor I think that was him ribbing off camera, ribbing uh, Phil, say, "Hey, are you using that uh, that new Taylor made uh, mini driver that many spotted out at the U.S. Open?" Yeah, so they they can do that. And Rogers is a golf sort of nerd. Brady is not. Brady is out there to advertise TB12. Yes. And DeChambeau, God only knows. Draft games. Yeah. So, yeah. Let me try and drive the 777-yard par five again. <laughs> yeah, hey, can I, get a, can I get a mulligan? You know. They're like, yo, we're on the clock, guys. We're trying to fight darkness. And by the way, that thing went for like five hours. It went, it went way into the basketball game. And then, you know, my question was, you know, Turner and ESPN are partners in the NBA. Did Turner really want a counter-program yes. like that into the NBA game? Anyway. All of these are questions to be answered by someone other than I. Uh, We will take a break. When we return, Tim Kirkchin will join us. We'll talk about baseball and Shohei Otani. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino ad. I've got Nigel to my right. He has bought three of these suits. Do the ad. (laughs) Just tell the people how it works. Yes, uh, I love my three suits from Indochino. I will most likely purchase a fourth suit very soon. That's how much I love these suits. It's tailor-made to your dimensions. I did it with a rope and, a, and a, a yardstick. You can go to an actual tailor, get your measurements. You send them in. You can design the suit, tailor it the way you want it, all sorts of things with cuffs and monograms and things like that. It's very That's- inexpensive, and it gets to you very quickly, and you will love it. That is the personal endorsement that Indochino wants, and Nigel has indeed bought three of these suits. Indochino offers completely custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. Every piece is made to your exact measurements. You can customize every detail. Choose everything about your suit from the fabric, the size of the lapel, monogramming, statement linings. Like if you're Phil Mickelson, you could just put work day right in the middle of everything. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $399 with all customizations included. Shop for your next best look or book a virtual style consultation at Indochino.com. 
Right now, you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code TONYK at checkout. So that's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com, I-N-D-O, Indo, C-H-I-N-O, Chino, Indochino.com. The promo code is TONYK and use the code, people. This is The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Zeta. We played Zeta yesterday, and we're playing Zeta today. That's right. Not ZT, which is something you eat, and not Zito, Tom Zito, my friend. No, this is Zita, Z-I-T-A. This is called The Picture. This is old-fashioned rock and roll. It's hard to resist this. It really is. And they play, they play in Tim Kirchin, and we're going to start. In fact, we're going to be dominated by Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani pitched last night, pitched well enough to win. Uh, he's a better pitcher at home in California than he is on the road. But the, the, the question is, the All-Star Game question is the question. His manager, Tim, Joe Madden, uh, has suggested to Kevin Cash that Kevin Cash pitch him and hit him. What do you think uh, the American League should do with Shohei Otani? Well, that's exactly what they should do with Shohei Otani. He should start the game as the designated hitter and show everyone what a great hitter he is, because he is, and then they should pitch him in the game later on. I would bring him in in relief so everyone can see how hard he throws. So he might hit a ball at 100 miles an hour. He might have hit, hit a ball thrown at 100 miles an hour, and then he'll throw a ball at 100 miles an hour, and there's nobody else that can do that. So the fact that he's the first two-way player to play in an All-Star game, I think we, should, we need to see both sides of it in the All-Star game. Okay, so here's you can explain your position to me. My position would be that you start him on the mound, that he becomes the first pitcher in the game for one reason that people really want to see him, and for a second reason that there's nobody in the American League that it, it, they don't have Roger Clemens this year or Pedro Martinez, their best ERA. They don't have Jacob deGrom. Their best ERA is the kid from Texas, which is one nine eight. And the other part of this would be, so you can answer this, because you would put him in relief. If he's already in the game as the DH, is, does it become hard to warm up does it become, you know, cumbersome? Where does he go to warm up if he's an active player? That's why I would start him from the top, but you know much more than I. How would you do it? Well, that's interesting, Tony, because I never even thought it through. I just figured he can do this but because he mm-hmm. can do anything. But you're right. He should start the game. You've, you've already convinced me. He should start <laughs> the game. He should yeah. start the game against Jacob deGrom. That way, the two most exciting pitchers-slash-players in the game should start against each other. They should both pitch to each other and against each other because DeGrom is hitting three eighty-seven this year, and that would be be perfect. You're right. I'm sorry. I didn't even – it's too early in the morning for me to think clearly, but both should start the game, and both should face, face each other. In fact, if Kevin Cash doesn't start him and I'm Rob Manfred, I give him the hook like he gave Blake Snell the hook. Because, because you know, you, you, this is an exhibition game. You want to you get an audience right away. Do you think that Otani, and I, I don't, do you think Otani is deserving as a pitcher to make the All-Star team, or do you think that's influenced by the two-way nature of his play? 
No, I think he deserves to make the team as a pitcher also. You know, ZRA just went up by uh, over a run after one terrible start the in Yankee. New York. Otherwise, yeah. he's yeah. been pretty good. He struck out, I think, 87 batters this year. His splitter is like the hardest pitch to hit in the major leagues, at least it was by early June. And you're right, Tony, it's an exhibition game. Baseball is having trouble getting people interested. How can you not take the most interesting player in the game, the most remarkable player in the game, and not show off all of his tools? And by the way, the tool that is most impressive to me is how fast he can run. His feet per second, we actually measure this now, was at one point this year faster than Fernando Tatis Jr. He scored, Otani did, from second base on a one-hop line drive single to right field against the Orioles, scored the winning run. I'm telling you, Tony, five guys in the league could have scored on that play. Five. And he's one of them. That's how fast he is. He might be the only guy who gets down to first base faster on the Angels this year is Mike Trout. That's how fast Otani is. He's not just fast, he's a great base runner. He's a remarkable athlete. So in the All-Star game, we need to see him pitch, we need to see him hit, and mostly we need to see him run. In the interest of full disclosure, we had a power outage again as Tim was talking about Shohei Otani's speed. I assume this is Comcast. I hate Comcast beyond anything you can imagine. I attempted to call someone at Comcast and they were not in, which is understandable because it was before 8 o'clock in the morning. But why didn't this happen on Monday? Because Monday was a legal holiday and Comcast wasn't working. And today is not a legal holiday and Comcast is working and they do not identify the area where they are going to do the work and tell the people in that area you might have interrupted service. That never happens to me. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But this happens with a tremendous amount of frequency. Right, Sean? A tremendous amount of frequency lately. Yes, uh, much more often than, than in past months. And Comcast provides the power. And Comcast is the people I write the checks to. And Comcast should, at the very least, tell people, we're working in your area from this time to that time, and there may be an interruption. Now that I've disclosed all that, let's go back to Tim Kirchin and Shohei Otani's speed. You were saying that there's only five people in the major leagues who could have made that play. Yeah, he scored on a one-hop line drive single to the right fielder to win the game. And he's not just really fast, he's a great base runner. And the base running in the major leagues today is so indescribably bad. That's another reason he stands out, because he can really run the base. He's always telling his manager, Joe Madden, uh, I want to steal here. Let me steal bases. He's a pitcher, and he's asking to steal bases. That's what se- he, That's the separator. He is such a fabulous athlete. He is so graceful to watch. And again, Tony, at the plate, I don't want to get too inside baseball. The ball on the inside part of the plate, everyone pulls that ball. He can take that ball on the inside part of the plate and hit it over the left field fence. It's remarkable what he can do in any baseball activity. There are three baseball players right now that seem to have this electric quality more than anybody else. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., and Shohei Otani. Uh, The other two guys are making money. If I recall correctly, Tim, Shohei Otani is basically working for minimum wage because there was no big auction when he decided to come over here 
There was no big clamor. This wasn't, you know, when the Yankees and the Red Sox bid against each other. Am I right on this, that he's not making much money relative to other players? Yes, that's true. And I admire him so much because he just wanted to come here and play. He could have gotten a lot more money if he had waited and and gotten the right deal in Japan and, and then had a bidding war. But he said, I don't want to do that. I want to come over here and play. You know, he's got his whole life apparently mapped out, and he did when he was in high school. You know, I'm going to win a ring at this time, I'm go- at this age. I'm going to win the World Series at this age. I'm going to get married at this age. I'm going to have a baby at this age. He's got his whole life planned, and I'm not sure where he is on the plan. I just know that at age 27 now, he's the most exciting player in the game because of what he can do, and he's not making the money that others are making, but he will eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about having your whole life planned out like that. Cause when one, when one of the dominoes goes, all of them go, I mean, I wouldn't want to be around if it didn't work. Let me shift gears to one other thing. This is local for me. How can Max Scherzer not be one of the top 12 pitchers in the national league when he is fourth in the national league in earned run and fifth in the national league in strikeouts. And he's playing for a team that is under 500. How can he not be on the all-star team? Well, that was my first comment when we did the All-Star show the other day. We always talk more about who's not on the All-Star team rather than who's on the All-Star team, but that was my first comment. How can Max Scherzer not be on the All-Star team? Now, there's no excuse, Tony, but the day I looked it up, there were 16 pitchers in the National League with an ERA under three. Sixteen. That's a lot. Just shows you how dominant the pitching is. And 10 of those 16, including Max Scherzer, did not make the all-star team. So he's not the only one with a gripe. But he's got the biggest gripe because he should be on the all-star team with that strikeout rate, an ERA of 2.10 for a subpar team. He, I couldn't believe that he wasn't on the all-star team. Well, thank you for talking about the amount of pitchers who are doing well. Is the goop gone to your satisfaction? And as a result, will we not see hitting the way we used to see hitting? Well, I don't think the goop is all the way gone. I mean, for a million years, athletes are trying to find an edge, and pitchers will continue to do that. But you you really have to be stupid to carry something really sticky on your glove or your belt or your hat because they're going to catch you now, and it's good that they're checking I debated whether it was okay to do it in season, but, you know, the pitchers clearly were, some of them were cheating, and they were getting an unfair advantage, so it's time to crack down, and seems to crack down is working. The spin rates have gone down. The, the right. offensive numbers have gone up. It, it, the pitchers still have their way, Tony. It, it helps the hitters for sure. But the pitchers are still so much better than the hitters are these days that they still strike out a million hitters per game. And the average is not going to go from 236 to 266, but it's giving the hitters much more of a chance. The other day we had 208 runs scored on June the 30th. That's the most runs scored in a day since 2009. And it's getting hotter. When it gets hotter, hitters swing better. It's easier to hit when the weather is hot and the ball travels far- farther. But at the same time, I-, I think it's time to even up the playing field a little bit because right now the pitchers are way too good for the hitters. I would even it up. The, of all of these suggestions that I have heard, 
and I don't know, we've probably talked about this before and I've forgotten it. The one suggestion I like the most is to make sure every infielder has his feet in the dirt. I would not allow these shifts. I would not allow short fielders in right field or left field. It's mostly in right field, obviously. I would make sure all the infielders have their feet in the dirt. Do you like that or not like that? Yeah, I do. I've come around to that, Tony. And by the way, yesterday, Joey Gallo of the Rangers, they played a shift on him. They used four outfielders. They took their two middle infielders and made them short fielders in right field. So there was only one player with his feet in the dirt, and that was the first baseman. It's the strangest thing I think I've ever seen as far as shifting goes. Only one player had his feet in the dirt. That was the first baseman, and he was almost on the outfield grass. And Mark Teixeira has convinced me that this would help the offensive problem in the game because when you shift like that, our hitters are incapable of hitting the ball to the opposite field. Joey Gallo cannot hit a line drive to left center field. He just really can't do that. So his only choice is to hit it over the shift. He can't hit it through the shift because there are six guys there. Yeah. So his choice is, all right, got to hit it over the shift. Therefore, I have to swing as hard as I can. i got to get the ball up in the air, which leads to a million strikeouts which leads to a lot of inaction, leads to a lot of homers, but it's not what we're looking for. So I would like to see everyone with their feet on the dirt and see how the game is played after that. I don't have any of these suggestions for other sports. You know what I mean? I only have it for baseball because I've known baseball my whole life. And and when you see these shifts and you see batters hit the ball 100 miles an hour, and it's a one-hop all the time to a guy who's positioned in exactly the right spot who has just taken a card out of his back pocket to find out how to play this particular hitter. It drives me crazy, Tim. It, it does. It drives, I'm not, you know, God bless the managers for being smart enough to do it, but I would outlaw it. I would. Yeah, and our hitters are, at this point, Tony, are incapable of making yeah. the adjustment. They've been swinging this way for 15 years, maybe 20. This is the only swing they have. They can't hit it over there. They don't know how. They were never trained. The industry never trained them to do anything other than to pull the ball over there or to get the ball up in the air. And until we make a massive adjustment for our hitters, we're going to continue to see this stuff. But that adjustment is going to take years and years. You can't just tell somebody who's been hitting a certain way for 15 years, okay, we want you to hit differently now. We want you to hit a line drive to left field, and we want you to do it off of Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer. Good luck. They can't hit them anyway. And now you're asking them to change their approach. It's like asking a basketball player to shoot a different way. No, we don't want you to shoot that way. We want you to shoot this way. And they can't make that adjustment, not after this many years. Wilbon always says, just have them bunt. And I said, Mike, these... These guys, they're number three hitters and four hitters. They're not going to bunt. They're, they're not going to do it. They're going to think it's bad for them and, to bunt. It's weak. Yeah, Tony, they're not getting paid to bunt. The industry <laughs> is paying them to do this exactly the way they're doing it. I don't even blame the players anymore. The industry tells them, we want you to produce big numbers. We want you to produce power. We're not interested in you hitting a single we're not interested in you hitting a bunt single. We want you to hit it over the fence. But you hit it over the fence once every 25 times and strike out, you know, once every, you know, three times, two times. It's okay with them. It's amazing. Thank you, Tim. Sorry about the interruption. 
You know, I'm sorry, nope. but thank you so Pardon much. Pardon the interruption. It's okay, yeah. Tony. I'll talk as to you we, soon. As we say, Tim Kirkchin, boys and girls. Uh, we will come back with Tim Legler in our day of Tim. We will come back with Tim Legler. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Zip Recruiter ad. Here are the challenges in hiring. Not enough applicants with the right skills or experience. Too many resumes to sort through, yet you need to hire someone quickly. Not knowing where to post your job to reach the right people. That's why hiring can feel like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony. Once again, remember to go to this unique place, ZipRecruiter.com slash T-O-N-Y. Tony, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Emily Rodriguez. She says, hi, my name is Emily Rodriguez. I'm a 16-year-old musician in Buffalo, New York. I was given your name and podcast information from Marty Peters at one of my recent gigs. He asked me to send a recent original song for possible play on your show. I attached my most recent release, Steal My Heart. Thanks so much for your time and consideration. 16 years 16, old. My most recent release. A 16-year-old girl in Buffalo. I love Buffalo. Yeah, this is incredible. The amount of talent that's out there. Amazing. Michael, if people like Emily Rodriguez want to send us their original music, which is thrilling, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And if I could just uh, reinforce, don't send in like your your friend's music or your, your right. nephew or something like that. They have to send it, in, send, send it to us with their permission. So um, just to avoid any sort of problems. Just lovely. It's amazing. Just lovely. Yeah. Buffalo, New York, right near Niagara Falls and the home of the Anchor Bar, which is where wings were invented. That's right. Yes. That's where they were invented. And the, and the reason wings were invented is because people... Had a whole chicken and used every part of the whole chicken except these wings that nobody wanted. Nobody could stand them. And now... Hard to find wings now. Now it's now you got to grow chickens with eight wings you know, instead of two. I mean, because people want them so badly. Did you see the price go up in chicken? No. Is it? Oh, is yeah, it, it's huge. No, well, obviously I mean, meat and fresh produce. Like yeah. chicken. I do. I like chicken. I may not like watermelon, but I like chicken. Not boneless. Um no, I like the bones. Yeah. I like Skin the bones. On. Yeah, I like all that. You know, I said that yesterday. I said to Helen, I was at the gym, and, and Helen said, you really need to have more protein. I said, chicken is protein, right? I had some chicken last night, and I described the chicken, and she said, you ate the skin, didn't you? And I said, yes, yeah, it's just fatty. It's just fatty. I said, yeah, it tasted good. She said, what? <laughs> no, no, don't eat the skin. Anyway, we were supposed to have Tim Legler on at this particular point in the show, and it hasn't worked out. Um, he's been on ESPN all morning, and, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we can talk about the game amongst ourselves because it's game one of a seven-game series. It is the least important game in a seven-game series is game one. The games get progressively more important 
most of the time. Every yeah. once in a while you sneak one in. Like if it's 3-0, you know, maybe the fourth game isn't that important in the greater scheme of things. But game one is the least important. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who had been doubtful in the morning and then was upgraded to questionable, played and played well. He had, I believe, 20 points and 17 rebounds. He showed no particular ill effects of his injury. And in fact, he made a great block on one play, ran the length of the court and just pinned the ball against the backboard. And still Phoenix won. And the reason Phoenix won is because Chris Paul was great. This makes Wilbon so happy. Chris Paul had a bunch of points. He and Devin Booker had a bunch of points together because their strength, the strength of Phoenix is in the backcourt and the strength of Milwaukee is in the front court because Middleton is a forward and uh, Antetokounmpo is a center. Uh, well, not a center, I guess, a forward on that team because Lopez plays center. I said this the other day and I will say this again. I am not going to be surprised at all if the team that wins game one, which is now Phoenix, sweeps the series. And the reason I'm not going to be surprised is there's only one player on the court, only one who's had any finals experience at all. Only one, Jay Crowder, who plays for Phoenix. He played last year for Miami. He plays on a new team every year. And so you think he must be a difficult player to coach. And yet he gets on a new team and he starts and he's really good. Yeah. And then he leaves. And I, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know why. Somebody smarter than I will have to explain that to me. He's on a different team every year and then a critical player every single year. Because of the lack of experience in the finals, it's conceivable that, it, you know, that you, you don't have a fallback position to draw on to stop the other team. Now, maybe it'll go seven, and maybe Phoenix will win tonight, and then Milwaukee will go to Milwaukee and win two in a row, and then it's a best two out of three series. I mean, I, I can't tell you about that. But what I wonder about is what the ratings are going to be. We have become so accustomed to seeing the following people in finals. Number one, LeBron James. Number two, Steph Curry. And then Kawhi Leonard and then Kevin Durant. I mean, there are people who you associate with the finals in the NBA, and none of them are in this. These are the last time Phoenix was in the finals was 1993. The last time Milwaukee was in the finals was 1974. 1974. So you've got cities that haven't been there in a long time. They're tremendously excited. But are casual fans tremendously excited? That's what I don't know. If you watched that game last night, I'll tell you what helped. Phoenix's uniforms are cool. And you would look at Phoenix's uniforms and say, I'm going to stick around on this one. It was not a blowout, but it was not a particularly close game. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I stayed up. I did watch the first quarter and a half because, like Michael, I, enough with the golf. I mean, it was, you know, it was fun, but enough with that. And I don't really know who's going to win. I think Phoenix is legitimately favored. It's going to take about three games to figure out who's better. It always does. But I think Phoenix is legitimately favored because they won 51 games during the regular season. And Milwaukee won 46. They finished second in a harder conference, and Milwaukee finished third in an easier conference. And they're more healthy than Milwaukee. Antetokounmpo played last night. You don't know if he will continue to play at that particular level. They're more healthy, and they also have home court. So I think that they should be the favorites. I think they're the best team. It's so hard for me because Phoenix, over the last five, six, eight years, They've not even been in the playoffs. Right. They had a losing record last year. They had a losing record. 
And now all of a sudden, and the addition is Chris Paul. There's no getting around this. I mean, I never liked Chris Paul, mostly because Wilbon likes him so much. (laughs) I'm sure I would like him. I mean, like the socialite played golf with him and likes him a lot. Other famous people I've played golf with have played golf with well, him and like him a lot. When you hear the quotes about how he's watching the Euro Cup and watching the soccer games, and he's just in amazement as to how they're passing the ball, and he goes, "They're probably thinking the same thing when they see us do what we do. We just do it yeah. every single day." Yeah. So I, you know, I, I he's been he was the most valuable player last year in Oklahoma City. He just landed there. He got traded there. He took a terrible team and made them pretty good. He did. He look. You, you know, you, Wilbon can tell you that Phoenix was on the cusp of being great. I don't believe that. Is Devin Booker a really good player? Sure. Could DeAndre Ayton eventually be a really good player? Sure. Yeah, all of these things are possible. But Chris Paul made this happen. Chris Paul. And he got there, and suddenly not only were they not a losing team, they finished second in the, in the West. They finished second. And they're still in this. Now, Milwaukee can come back. They've done this before this year. They've been left for dead at the side of the road, and they have triumphed. So that could happen. This is not the analysis that Tim Legler would give you, but we couldn't get Tim Legler. <laughs> so this is the best I can do. All right? And when we come back, we'll have email and a jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. That's Brandon Costello. That's right. Was he Brandon Bowker when he did that, or was he Brandon Costello then? I don't know if the name change had taken place at that point. Do you want to do the Bethesda bagel ad? We have bagel sandwiches today. I'm very excited. We love the bagel sandwiches, and we love Bethesda bagels. You're going to get one. Oh, I'm going to get one. Yeah, you're going to get one. This is great. You get get a sandwich. You You get get a sandwich. sandwich. All you need to do to get your very own bagel sandwich is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. And if I could just pass along a special happy birthday to one Richard Stocky today. Oh, Ringo is, well, how old is he? Close to 80, I'll bet. Uh, yeah, I don't know his age, I bet uh, it's because he plays young. 78, 79, yeah, something I would think like so, that. Yeah. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, oh, she may be weary. Young girls, they do get weary wearing that same old shaggy dress. But when she gets weary, try a little tenderness. That's Otis Redding. But the better version of that <laughs> is in Bull Durham, <laughs> do get when Tim Robbins <laughs> just starts destroying the lyrics, and Kevin Costner wants to smash him in the head with a guitar. Thanks to our guest today, Tim Kirchin. Thanks as well to today's sponsors, Indochino and ZipRecruiter. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple uh, Podcasts, please leave us a review. Uh, this is from Rich Brazow. Is that how it's pronounced? I would say uh, Brazil, Brazil, but I'm not okay. sure. This is our friend Tony and Michael, Carolina. next time you're at C3, and C3 is Chichesi Country Club. You have a bottle of bourbon and a note inviting you to Yemen's. Last time you were all there, my locker was next to Mr. Tony, and I left it in there, but you all had, ready, had already left. Kevin has it in the shoe room for your pending arrival. Would love to have you at YHC. It's a special place. Just don't bring Saliza. <laughs> Frankie Sachs, Israel Association of Baseball, director of PR and social media, is inviting us to come see the Israel uh, Olympic baseball team when we visit your neck of the woods as preparation for the Olympics. Team Israel will be... We'll face the Bethesda Big Train of the Cal Ripken Collegiate Baseball League at Shirley Povich Field in Bethesda, Maryland on Sunday night, July 18th. I don't think I'm going to... Well, I will be here. You'll I will be here. Be here. Maybe time? I'll do that. Um, Sunday night. I don't know. At night. The baseball tournament at the Olympics features six teams. Team Israel's roster has eight players with past major league experience, including Ian Kinsler, Danny Valencia, and Ryan Lavarnaway. 
Unfortunately, as a loyal little, I'm quite aware of the late start for this game. 9-13. So the first pitch will come after nightfall on the Jewish day of morning, Tisha B'Av. Means it will be past your bedtime. But if Michael, Nigel, Gary, Chris, et al. would like to catch the game, or if you'd like some Team Israel gear, a box of that, please let me know. Let's hold on to this one. This is a good one. <laughs> from Lee Gordon in West Hartford, Connecticut, in Boynton Beach, Florida. Last week, you read an email from a former Cliffy. Jared Kotler announcing his impending nuptials. I said to myself, I know that, Cliffy. His uncle Glenn is one of my best friends, and Jared's bride-to-be is very nice. P.S. I just returned from Jingle Fest, where I got to meet Joe Arrow, Jerry Negrelli, Jen Babich, Dina from Damascus, Rob and Jamie, Steve Lipton, Tony Beeson, and too many others to mention them all here. I figure between gas, tolls, and hotel, I probably dropped about 300 bucks. I'll take that over a toaster yeah, totally any worth day. It. From Jeremiah in Geneva, New York, what we have in common aside from the hatred for that Three Dog Night song. Yes, I do like soup. And snow peas are great in a stir fryer with a dip. I like French onion as both a dip and a soup. Your thoughts. From Bob Walsh in Wethersfield, Connecticut, in May, I emailed to tell you that on August 7th, Littles will be gathering in person at local venues across the U.S. for the summer of Littles. Well, Gary talks about that. You were good enough to read the email and tell your listeners about the event and its website, summeroflittles.com. The response has been overwhelming. Since that podcast, the website has been visited over 4,500 times, and there are now 31 confirmed venues. Wow. For these gatherings in the United States, Canada, Australia, and England, some to be hosted by names you will recognize. Shad, Carla Corrado, Dina in Damascus, David Spector. Yes, Bell's Up is a venue in Sully from Boston. Not Rivera. <laughs> the event is now a little over a month away. We're hoping you will help encourage the Littles to check out the website, summeroflittles.com, to see the expanded offering of venues and to RSVP that, yes, they will meet their fellow Littles on August 7th. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. From Mike Pinnell in Khartoum in Sudan. 116 in Portland. What a bunch of sissies. <laughs> in, uh, in Iraq, uh, previously Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and Basra, Iraq, where it reached 127 Oof. in 2016. Um, okay, uh, this is from Bells Up Winery. Greetings from the Willamette Damit Valley, a.k.a. the Blast Firmus. I heard you wondering about the impact of our recent heat dome event on the grapes. So what are your thoughts on raisin wine? I kid, I kid. <laughs> Vines that have been in the ground for a few years or more should be okay because the event only lasted three days and most of us had enough leaf coverage to shade the developing clusters. There shouldn't be much, if any, damage as long as we don't see anything like that again. For new plantings, it's more of a concern as the vast majority of Oregon vineyards, including ours, have no permanent irrigation and younger root systems haven't found their own groundwater sources yet. Fortunately, we saw this coming the week before, and I was able to run about 4,000 feet of temporary drip irrigation line down to the new vines we planted last fall. Between unrolling the constantly kinking and twisting hose in 1,000-foot segments, clipping the hose to the wires thousands of times over, and installing the drip emitters one by one through the hose wall, it's a truly underrated, miserable experience. But it was worth the effort as the worst of the heat has passed, and the youngsters look to be in good shape. Our larger concern is how the heat exacerbated the awful drought we've had. The memories of last September's unprecedented wildfires in the valley, the nearest of which came about two miles from our place, are still fresh in our minds. And with the dry spring we just had and our normal dry summer ahead, we're all on guard and praying to avoid a repeat this year. As I often say, since I got into this business, I now understand why farmers are so religious. By the way, thanks to you and Gary for mentioning our hosting the Summer of Littles. In, uh, on August 7th, and that's from Bells Up, that's from Dave's. Change has opened up our uh, Rhapsody Pinot Blanc. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. From Alex Lau in New York City. 
I understand your hatred of pumpkins. It's a stupid flavor that people like Saliza pretend to like when it's fall because it seems like the cool seasonal things to do. Kind of like sitting around a fire pit on a brisk day. But how do you not like watermelon? What's not to like? It's water and melon. That's it. That's the list. No one is saying it tastes better than a steak at the Palm, but it seems like watermelon is something we all should be able to get behind. I mean, come on, man. What are we even doing out here, man? I don't like melons. I'm, I'm with you I on I don't this like one. melons yeah. of any sort. Yeah, so it's, from, not, it's not the mess. No, I just don't like melons. Yeah. From Roy Mathewson, they're too watery. I don't well, like them. it's in the them. name. I, don't, I like cherries. I like blackberries and raspberries. I don't like them. From Roy Mathewson in Colorado Springs. First it was pumpkins. Now it's watermelons. What's next? You're going to vilify honeydew? I don't like honeydew. <laughs> Say muskmelons are stealing hardworking strawberry jobs. Where does it end, Tony? Where does it end? That's so great. One more from Tom Lewis in Indianapolis, Indiana. Listening to the podcast on Monday. Listening on speaker when Chessie starts barking in the background. The yapping aroused my golden retriever, Greta, from midday slumber as she started barking for five minutes, pausing me to forcing me to pause the show. So please tell Chessie, Chessie, are you listening? That Greta says hi. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite.
I'm sure about this.